0: I'm Ian Beardsall. I'm at the London Trauma Conference and I've managed to grab a couple of minutes with Professor of Emergency Medicine from Barts Health, Tim Harris, who gave an excellent talk about shock and really brought up some interesting concepts that I thought all of our listeners would really benefit from hearing reiterated by him in person. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. I think the major point I took from your talk was really that we have to redefine how we think of shock and remember that textbook definition that it's not just about blood pressure.
1: Indeed not, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you, it's it's an honour to be here. We base a lot of medicine on physiology, the physiology we can measure, pulse, blood pressure, GCS, respiratory rate. The key bit of physiology we don't measure is cardiac output, and the only reason we don't measure it is because it's difficult and challenging, and till recent years is required invasive equipment. Shock equals inadequate oxygen delivery for your needs. So there's key things. One, the oxygen requirements of any patient, you and I, varies on our physiological state. And we will increase our oxygen delivery in conjunction with our cardiac output to meet our needs. We run for the bus, up Starling's curve we go, up goes oxygen delivery. And our patients, of course, they're all running for the bus, or most of them, because they've got gross physiological insults. And I'm talking about this in the context of major trauma. And my talk was... The context of major trauma. The problem is we don't measure cardiac output and we rarely think of oxygen delivery while immediately assessing a patient because it's nothing that's displayed to us in those first critical minutes. What's displayed is pulse and blood pressure and of course we come through medical school and we're given this magical number, the magic of 90, 90 millimeters of mercury equals shock and all of us we all know it's not true We've all met young, fit people that run along with systolics of 80 and 90 and are clearly delivering oxygen beautifully. And we've all seen patients that are perhaps older and hypertensive who could drop their blood pressure from a systolic of 200, 210, down to 110, 120. But for them, that would be sufficient to start to embarrass the perfusion of their organs. So the talk I gave was very much about what's the role of blood pressure in shock?
0: So for me, this created a bit of a difficulty as an emergency doctor in the situation of trauma, being a trauma team leader. I've often stood there at the end of the trolley with my patient who's maybe got some hypovolemia, trying to make decisions based on what appears to be limited information. And you really made me question how I'm going to decide, how do I make those decisions about whether the patient's stable to go to scan or whether the patient might need to go to theatre that really created a bit of difficulty for me in my own decision making.
1: So there's two th- issues you've raised. One, stability and two, assessment of blood loss. Let's deal with assessment of blood loss first. This is important because we need to know how we're going to resuscitate our patients. And certainly I work in an institution that works very much along the paradigm of hemostatic resuscitation. I.e., our resuscitation is not to restore definitive organ perfusion. We sacrifice that for a short amount of time to preserve blood volume, the so-called hemostatic resuscitation. So, when I'm faced with a trauma patient, of course I use pulse, of course I use blood pressure, but I try to use other things too. So, the first thing I want to know is the mechanism of injury. And I've got the honour of working with East Anglian Air Ambulance in London HEMS, so I've some experience of being at scene and being at the scene or seeing photographs of the scene give you an idea of the energy transfer and the mechanism of that energy entering the patient in front of you. I gave the example in the talk of a motorbike, the tank of which had been completely anatomically rearranged by the rider and of course that was by his pelvis. So that mechanism alerts you to a fractured pelvis and a significant potential blood loss.
0: So you're adding up all of those things, not depending on just a single number, to decide where it is that you're going next?
1: Yeah, so mechanism, physiology, then I'll assess injuries, broken humerus there, maybe there's an obvious broken femur there, and I do believe in the potential role for ultrasound. Oh, there's a hemothorax there, Oh, there's some blood in the belly. So the Gestalt I use... I stand at the end of the bed and I ask myself the question, in four hours' time, based on the information provided by the parameters we've just discussed, am I going to give this patient more than four units of blood? And if I am, then in my mind I treat them as major hemorrhage. That triggers a different mindset. The different mindset is, I'll hang up FFP, I'll hang up some packed red cells the so-called Massive Transfusion Protocol, trying to achieve one unit of FFP to one unit of packed cells. And if I've gone beyond my six cells, then I'll add in some platelets and cryoprecipitate as defined by the SOP we use at Bart's Health.
0: And I'm guessing that as a team, you're renowned at your hospital for working as a, a superb trauma Institution, And so everybody understands those goals. But it may be that some of our listeners work in an area where if the trauma team leader says, do you know what, I'm happy with this patient, even though they have a systolic of 70, because the mechanism and other things point me to the direction of a not quite so serious or potential blood loss, or the opposite of that, the patient who's got the systolic of 110, but with a severe mechanism and other things, because our colleagues are so bent on using blood pressure Have you got any tips about how you can help in those situations diffuse that discussion and lead that forward so that the team leader can take things in the right direction?
1: So I agree with you, there is tremendous focus on blood pressure. We've um, got the Bickle paper and the Dutton paper that deliberately set out, in the first case, to target volume and the second, to blood pressure. And there's a large trial ongoing in the US looking at intraoperative blood pressure targets. And the take-home message from all of that so far is that actually we can't target a blood pressure. At least we can target it, but we rarely reach it. So I think, with respect, some of what you say is superfluous to reality. I, I can tell you, with a young 16-year-old with a stab wound in the chest, I don't really care what his blood pressure is, because he's talking to me, because he's perfusing his brain, and. I would make decisions based on hmm, perchitalfusion, meters's chest opening or hmm blood in the belly, transfuse CT. I can tell you that for blunt trauma, I'll use a systolic if they 're intubated of 80 to 90, and I'll say at the outset that 's regardless of traumatic brain injury in the early phase i don 't know if that's right or wrong but that is my approach based on the evidence as I understand it.
0: I guess what we're trying to get to is a consensus approach on some difficult topics where the evidence perhaps isn't clear to everybody about what to do next. You're presenting a really coherent argument about this idea of oxygen delivery. Are there any other things that we maybe hold as dogma to do with shock that we should perhaps try and reframe and rethink I know the ATLS classifications is another thing that's come up quite a lot this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, ATLS has given us some fantastic things in medicine, hasn't it? I mean, it has to be, when we look back in the last 50 years, one of the great steps forward. You and I can go into any emergency department in America, UK, Europe, Australasia, and we can join a trauma team and have a reasonably good idea of the approach to care offered by that team. A, B, C. And of course that ABC is enshrined It's one of the defining principles of emergency medicine. And much as I respect a lot of what ATLS has given us, one of the things that it's enshrined is this table of shock where they classify shock by blood loss to stages 1, 2, 3 and 4 and then neatly prescribe each stage with a pulse, blood pressure, respiratory rate and GCS. And actually, you know, I've worked as an anaesthetist, intensivist, pre-hospital doctor and emergency doctor in trauma centres for the last 25 years, and I'm really struggling to... have found a patient that fits into that. And this is because medications, past history, soft tissue injury, pain, anxiety, all alter that physiological response. And we know from animal models of pure blood loss, actually those figures really don't apply. And we know from the work of Tarn in the UK and Eastbridge in the States that actually the reality is that table does not reflect the patients we see in front of us. In fact, we know that mortality increases about 4.8%. For every 10 millimetres, your blood pressure goes below 110. So if you want me to pick a blood pressure I care about, I'd pick 110 in trauma. Of course, I would modify that for the age of patient and any comorbidities I, I knew they had.
0: So perhaps what we're getting to is actually the more we know, the not the simpler this gets, but the more complicated it gets, and the more we need to value the thought processes of the trauma team leader and the trauma team as a whole to put all of this information together. We can't just work on numbers, we can't work on a monitor, but we have to see the whole patient their past medical history, the mechanism, everything that's happened to them, to then judge our transfusion strategy and how we take things forward?
1: For sure. But isn't that the beauty of medicine? That's the art within the science. It's why years of experience matter, and why, however many guidelines we produce, our job is to adapt those guidelines. And I see guidelines as aid memoirs, and I use them all the time, but we are going to adapt them to that patient in front of us. And I think that's the danger of guidelines. I know when I started off medicine, I was very rigid in my approach. and The guidelines gave me a security, and if I went away from them, I became insecure. And I think, perhaps touching on a, a different issue, that's one of the dangers of the way we teach medicine today. And I think the best way to care for trauma patients is to do it every day of your life. That's why I believe in trauma centres and to really study and understand the physiology and the disease in front of you because it is far, far more complex than that ATLS table suggests. I see many young adults who've clearly lost approaching half of their circulating volume, particularly from penetrating trauma with actually minimal disturbance to their physiology.
0: One of the things I guess we've learned all week at the London Trauma Conference is that we need to keep learning that we're aiming for self-mastery and expertise, but we're always going to have to keep developing in that. Tim, thank you so much for coming along to explain some of your thoughts on shock. I'm sure it'll be very thought-provoking for people who are listening. The take-home messages, if you just wanted to reiterate for us again the few things that you wanted people to remember about shock and the things you want them to take away from this, what would those be?
1: So I think the key thing is when you're resuscitating, Remember, what you're resuscitating is the mitochondria, the microcirculation. That's where 90% of your oxygen delivery is. And what resuscitation is, in my mind, is the restoration of adequate oxygen delivery for the needs of the patient. And while blood pressure is important, because you've got to have enough pressure associated with flow, don't forget the flow. And remember that resuscitation is made predominantly of fluids in the ED, a little bit of inotropes, a little bit of vasopressor, and a little bit of hemoglobin. But it's giving the volume of fluid and choosing the right fluid that's key to successful resuscitation.
0: And perhaps not hanging your hat on just those numbers and looking at the whole patient and everything else. Absolutely. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. I think it's time now for a couple of drinks and uh, the end of the conference is nigh, so a degree of relaxing for everybody. It's been a real pleasure and hopefully we can have you on the St Emeline's podcast again soon.
1: I'd be very honoured. It's beer o'clock.